Today's reading comes from Ephesians 6, 1 through 9. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for who you are, that you fight our battles, Lord, and that when we surrender, you can give us total peace and joy that only comes through you. I just ask that you would open our hearts this morning and be with Kevin as he preaches, that we would hear the words you have for us. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to Aletheia Church. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. I uh, appreciate you guys uh, being here with us this morning on this uh, rainy day. I, s- I said to uh, uh, somebody who was walking in, I said, I- I'm-, I'm surprised we have as many people as we do. Um, it was interesting when we lived in Virginia, if it snowed, no one came to church, and then we moved to Florida, and whenever it rains, no one wants to get out of bed and come to church. I don't know if you guys are afraid that the, the rain's going to make you guys melt or something down here. I know you guys are the sunshine state, but it doesn't have to shine every day, and it's okay. So glad you guys braved the weather and came out here uh, this morning to worship God, uh, and so we're glad to see you. Um, if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be this morning. That's what Danielle just read to you guys. That's the passage we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, Last week, if you weren't here, and I know we had some podcast issues last week, so you may not have been able to hear it because the, 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 podca- the, the podcast computer that we use to store those ran out of space, so we apologize for that. Everything was recorded, just not saved because we didn't have any space for it, so our apologies for that. Uh, but last week, Pastor Daniel did a, a great job of, of leading us through the last uh, little section of Ephesians 5, uh, and it's super important Uh, that we kind of understand what Paul was talking about in that particular section uh, because what we're going to talk about this morning ties in directly with what we saw last week with Paul's instructions on on marriage. Now, so, so if you've been with us at any point during the fall or late summer and have been working through the book of Ephesians with us, you've probably seen that Paul separates this letter into two sections, and we've, we've mentioned this from the stage multiple times, right? The first three chapters of Ephesians are very theologically heavy, and what I mean by that is Paul's giving us a lot of deep-seated, deep-rooted doctrine about who we are in Christ, right? If we said, What's the, 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 the subject or the heading for the first three chapters of Ephesians? We would say our identity. What is our identity as followers of Jesus? And we saw things like Paul calls us chosen. He says that we're loved, that we're forgiven by God, that we're adopted. All of this language about 
who you are in Christ if you are a follower of Jesus. This is theologically true about who you are. And so then when we get to chapter 4, Paul makes this transition in, the, in his letter to the church at Ephesus from, from being theologically heavy to being application-focused. And what I mean by that is he's going to move from saying, here is your identity, here is who you are, to here's how you live from that identity. Here's how you live unto God as chosen, as forgiven, as loved, as adopted. And and what we've seen, right, is, is he calls the church to unity. He calls them to obedience. He calls, he calls us to love others well the way that Christ loves well. And then last week, right, what Daniel talked about is that our marriages, right, whether you're married now or you desire to be married one day, our marriages are a reflection of our identity in Christ. And, and the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6 are connected in a lot of ways. I, w- I would say this, that, that Paul spends the last part of chapter 5 and the beginning part of chapter 6 talking about three kind of key relationships that most human beings experience over the course of their life. So some of you are in the throes of all three right now. Some of you have been in two of them at any given time. Maybe you're just in the throes of one of them. But in many ways, these, these, these two connecting parts of these two chapters are talking about right, how to live these relationships out in light of the gospel, in light of what Christ has done for us. If we gave kind of that, this idea of what Paul is pressing into us in these, these last three chapters. It's, it's this idea of here is what God wants you to do so you can be more like Jesus. Hey, hey, Christian brothers and sisters, here's what God wants us to do so we can look more like our Savior. right? And so one of the primary ways that God is changing us and molding us into the image of his son is within the context of relationships that we have with those around us, right? So if I were gonna slap a title on uh, the end of Ephesians 5 and and the beginning of of chapter 6, I would would title it this. Paul wants us to know how to have gospel-centered relationships, He wants us to know how to interact with other human beings in these particular contexts that he's going to mention. Now it's interesting though, because the key to all of the different relationship types that he's gonna talk about, the key to kind of living those out is actually seen back in Ephesians chapter five, verse 21. If you wanna turn over there really quick and just look, look at what Paul says. He's talking about how the church is to worship and enjoy and honor Jesus. And look what he says when you get to verse 21. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right, because verse 21 is one of those key passages as a Christian that I, that I think we should just have memorized. Right, because here's the reality. That verse describes the what the how and the why of how to live in relationships with other sinful human beings like yourself, right? Just just look at me for a minute. He says to, to, to live in submission to one another 
out of reverence for who? Jesus. Right? Notice how he doesn't say, he doesn't say to me, right, Kevin, a, a, a husband, a father, and a pastor. He says, he doesn't say, hey, Kevin, live out of reverence for your son, Gideon. No, he says, submit and love Gideon well out of your reverence for who? Your king and your savior. So, so there's this idea here in verse 21 that one, we should be having relationships with other people. That's the what. Right? There, is, there is an assumption that if you are a follower of Christ, you should be in some relationships with people. I know some of you guys are, well, wait a minute, I'm introverted. Right? I, you know, like the idea of being in this room right now, just, you know, there's like spiders crawling up my back right now. You know, this, is just, this is just horrible. Okay, I get you, yes and amen. You still need to have some relationships. Now, you can roll your eye at the extrovert who's screaming and yelling and hugging everybody that comes in here, and that doesn't have to be you, right? But there is a, a belief right here in, in, the, in the book of Ephesians that there are some relationships that God is calling us to, and in the context of those relationships, we are to submit to one another as to Christ. So, so there's the what of, hey, you need to be living out these relationships. There's the how, which is the submission to one another. And, and, and Daniel talked about this, but since we don't have the podcast, I'm just going to go into you know, 30 seconds on this really quick because in 2018, when I say the word submit, everyone immediately stiffens their neck up and the hairs on the back of their head turn and you know, like the werewolf style goes in on a full moon and everyone's like, I don't want to submit to anybody. I'm an American. You know? And, you know, I think like being an American just contributes to some of this, right? Because our, our doctrine that we live by, right? Our, our declaration of independence just says like, hey, we deserve whatever we want. No one should impede our rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? And then we have a constitution that is supposed to protect all our rights and we fight for them and we pick it and we, we you know, do marches and, and whatever else it may be. Like we're all about individualism in the West and specifically in American culture. And so when we get to the, these sections of scripture where we see a word like submit we tend to tune that out immediately i don't want i don't want to do that what do you mean submit right submission is weak right but here's here's the idea of 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 what happens right if, if you are understanding biblical submission right it it's not it's not a ufc fighter tapping out after they've lost a fight right what it's in the context of the words used in the Greek, what the Paul and other authors are talking about is this idea that when we submit in Scripture, we are fulfilling roles that God has designed us for. We're, we're not admitting weakness, right? We're not admitting that we're useless or that someone is better than us. Right, what we're actually doing is recognizing, hey, God designed me with certain gifts and abilities and with certain roles to fulfill and function as his son or his daughter, and there is no shame in me doing what God has asked me to do. Right, and, and part of the problem with this too, and, and I get this, right, some of us have, have had scripture used against us and lorded over us in ways that were wrong. I right, say, oh, you, need to, you just need to submit. You, know, you just need to obey. Well, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about falling into the God-given design of who God created us to be and falling into that. Right, let me give you an analogy. I know, I know, how many of you guys like or watch football in the room? Okay, about half the room. Okay, for those of you guys that don't know or watch football, this analogy I think will still 
hold weight though because I'm going to try to explain it for you. So you're going to walk out of here knowing a little bit more about football this morning as well. Okay? If you think about the way a football team functions, what is their goal? To win. Yes, I know the Gators didn't do that very well yesterday. Right? But the goal yesterday was to win. Right? And, and so there's different roles on a football team, right? Who's the most important person on a football team? Everybody noticed that there was a different thing thrown out there? I heard coach, I heard quarterback, I heard running back, I heard defense, right? Like different, different people have different ideas of what the most important role is. But if a team functions well, think about it from this aspect, right? If Everyone is doing their job and fulfilling their role. What happens? Teams execute. They execute the plays they're supposed to run. Right? They'll, if they're on defense, they'll stop the opposing offense. And if they're offense, they'll execute the plays properly and score a touchdown. Right? And yet, what is happening constantly on every play? If you are an offensive lineman, are you touching the ball unless you're the center? No. You are submitting to both the coach and the quarterback to do your job and protect those other players, right? On a running play, the quarterback submits to the head coach's call and hands off that ball to the running back to properly run the play and do things, right? Even on certain teams, right, the head coach knows that an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator is better equipped within the confines of that team to call plays for that team. And so that head coach subjects himself and submits to the plays called by those other assistant coaches. Even though, right, who has the most power on that team? The head coach. And I would say to you that I've been on a number of different teams over the years. The teams that don't function well are the teams that don't perform their roles properly. When you have offensive coordinators who want to be head coaches or quarterbacks who think they're running backs or running backs who think they're quarterbacks or centers who think that they're wide receivers. I don't know if that's ever happened in the history of football, right? But if you have people that don't want to submit to the role that they were designed for within a team, chaos ensues. And God just says, look, right, I designed everyone uniquely. I designed marriage. I designed families. I designed work. I know how this stuff is supposed to operate. And there are roles for us to fulfill, and we need to submit to them right, so that we can experience joy and fullness of life within the design that God created. And so we have, the, we have the what, we have the how, which is submit to one another, and then we have the why. The why would we submit to one another in relationships? Because it honors God out of reverence for Christ. And this works its way out in many relationships, right? Ephesians 5 verse 21 works itself out in a ton of different relationships. And the first one that he mentioned was marriage. And Daniel went through that last week, right? But the, the roles that, that God has designed within marriage is that wives would submit to their husbands and that husbands would submit to their wives like Christ loved the church. And Daniel went over that consistently. But basically what he said is that husbands are called to a very, very high standard there because the role of a husband is to be like Jesus. 
Right? And so, dudes, if you're in here and you aspire to be married one day, and you're like, I want to learn how to be, I want to learn how to be a husband before I ever am a husband. One, yes and amen. Two, study Jesus' life. Study what Jesus did. Right? And what was Jesus? He was a pastor, he was a protector, and he was a provider. Right? That, that's what he did. Right? He pastored the disciples, he protected them at times, and Dude, there, was, there wasn't even food one time, and he made a bunch of loaves of bread and fish, and he provided for everybody, right? And I'm not saying that's what, I'm not saying you're going to perform that kind of miracle, right? But God is calling you to be a provider, right? Ladies, right, God is asking you within the confines of that relationship to respect and love your husband well. Now, dudes, let, let me pause here for a second just to get one last point across, because again, I know we don't have the podcast up right now, and I want to drill home this point that, that Daniel made last week. Right? If you ever find yourself as a husband quoting these verses to tell your wife to listen to you, you are doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Right? I used to tell the young men in my Bible study up in, in Virginia that good husbands love their wives into submission. And what I mean by that is if you are pastoring, providing, and protecting, ladies, I would imagine that that's a guy you would be willing to follow. Right? If you feel loved, valued, appreciated in that, then you're going to trust and so dudes, a, a lot of the onus in, in these relationships, specifically marriage, is on the men. Right? To, to pastor and to provide and to protect. Right? And so, so here we have, right, we have Ephesians 5, right? We have Paul laying out in verse 21 this idea of, hey, look, relationships are one of the primary means by which God is trying to make us more like Jesus. And one of those relationships is marriage, which we looked at last week. The two relationships we're going to look at this morning are the family dynamic and the work dynamic. Right? So let me ask this question. How many of you guys in this room are parents? There's like eight of us, right? Okay, now, how many of you guys want to be parents one day? Most of the hands went up. Now, how many of you guys that were like, uh, right? How many of you guys think you might still be parents even though you don't want them right now? Okay, a couple hands went up. There you go. How many of you guys will know someone else who will be parents? Every hand should go up in the room right now. There we go, okay, right? Okay, so here, here, here's something that's important, right? Because the church works together and functions together. You don't have to be a parent to need to know how to parent and to, and to follow and guide through this. Some of the, the, the most godly advice I was ever given on parenting was given to me by a 20-year-old punk college student. Right, I was complaining. I'm like, Gideon's driving me crazy. You know, he's so much like his mom. And he has, let me finish. He has, he has feelings and emotions, and I don't know what those are, and I'm just like really, really struggling with this, and like I, 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 I'm going to pray for him, and this punk kid just looks at me and goes, dude, I wouldn't want to be your son. Quit complaining about your kid. I'm like, all right, dude, sorry, man. Like, back off, right? <laughs> right? But I needed to hear that, right? I needed to hear in that moment, right, to love my son well and to stop complaining. So let, so let me start by saying this, right? With this, this idea of what we're trying to get across is our relationships matter, because in many ways, the way you relate with your children or your spouse or someone else will display what you think about God to the world around you. 
right? You may not believe that or know that, but the way you love your spouse, the way you love your child, the way you love your niece or your nephew or your friend's kids, or the way you interact with your boss or your coworkers, that says something. It matters, right? It says something about what you believe about God and what he's done in your life, right? Paul even says in Ephesians 5, right, that marriage displays the mystery of Christ and the church, He says flat out, this relationship is a reflection of the gospel. But if you look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, let me read those to you really quick. He's going to talk furthermore about how family does that as well. Look at what he says. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So Paul says this, right? He says, hey, family, a child's obedience to their parents and their parents' shepherding of those children display God to others. Right? Your your family dynamic matters. Here's basically what he's saying. He's saying children learning to submit to mom and dad will teach them a lot about learning how to submit to God. Think about this. Parents who love their children well will instruct them, will encourage them, will teach them, will discipline them. And those children will grow to learn the importance of obedience and honor because those parents are displaying some of God's character to their children. Right? By, by parenting well and children learning how to function underneath their parents, they're learning how to function underneath the, the, the same authority that God operates over every single one of us. Right, let's, let's break down the text a little bit and look at it. But if you look at verses 1 through 3, right, in those verses, Paul is quoting Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. It's where the, it's where the Ten Commandments are given. Throw that up there. Right? He says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Right, that's the instruction of God to his people in the wilderness outside of Israel. Right, and so as Paul quotes this here, he says, hey, God promises to children, if you honor your fa- the way you honor your father and your mother matters to God. Because if you honor your parents, it will go well with you. Now, I think this is like one of those like, moments in Scripture that we need to remember that when God promises something, it's a good idea to listen to what that reward or what might come out on the other end of that. My community group was just looking at this this past week. There's all these promises of future glory in Scripture and future rewards in Scripture. We should take hold of those and be excited about those promises that God has given. And here we have God talking to children saying, hey, honor your father and your mother and what will happen? It, it may go well with you. Anybody in here not want things to go well for them? Right? Not one hand went up in the room. Right? Everybody wants things to go well. Right? And so what Paul says here, right, and what he's getting at and quoting Exodus chapter 20 is that in, obe- that in obedience and honoring our father and our mother, there is this promise that it will go well with us. Now, There's two stages to this command. 
right? There's honoring your father and mother as a child, and there's honoring your father and your mother as an adult, right? As a, as a child, right, God has designed, right, life to be that you have a father and a mother to exercise authority over you so that you can learn to submit to that authority, learn obedience, be trained and raised up in the way that you should go so that you can ultimately learn one day to transfer that authority from your father and mother to God. But that, that is the, the proper way this is supposed to work, that, that Gideon and Josiah would, would honor and obey Jackie and myself until one day when they reach maturity that they're so focused in on what God might have for them in his word that they're going to obey God even over mom and dad. Like, hey, if mom and dad ask me to do something that's in direct contradiction to scripture, I'm going to choose God. Right? That's, what we're, that's what we're supposed to be getting at as we raise children. And what this type of parenting does is it helps them to see God's commands are not there to rob us of joy, but actually for our protection and flourishing. I know some of you guys think like, you know, especially, you know, commands of God that deal with sexual immorality. And, and the age group that we primarily reach around here, that's the one we always think God's lying. Oh, God, God doesn't really think that sexual immorality is wrong, right? It's just, you know, it's an, it's an old uh, patriarchal, uh, archaic system of rules. I would encourage you to ask any married couple in this room, and if you were at the Q&A last week, you heard it, what role sexual immorality has played in their marriage after they've gotten married. Right? God doesn't just give those commands because he wants to rob you of joy and experiences. He gives those commands to protect you and your spouse later on in life. To, pr- to protect you from self-inflicted pain from sin and gluttony. And parents are given to their children to do the same thing. I tell people all the time, my kids would have killed themselves multiple times if it were not for Jackie and I. You know, when you see your kid walking towards a dryer and trying to get inside of it, and when you pull them out of it and they're screaming bloody murder that you have just robbed them of the one thing that they wanted to do today more than anything in the world, Guys, that's how we relate with God so many times. It's like, I want to get in the dryer. Dude, you do not want to get in the dryer. Unless you want to be roasted and dead. Right? Like my kids, like they want to like climb things and jump off head first. Dude, we have tile floor, not, not water. Right? You, you will crack your skull. Dad, I just want, no, dude. Sorry, I love you enough to stop you from being dumb. Right? Parenting is designed to show us that you know, this is how God operates with us. Right? God com- God's commands are for our good, are for our joy. And being a child right, in a home where parents honor this structure, where they instruct and teach, right, gives our children a vision of God's goodness towards us. Now, I'll say more on this in a minute or two, but parents, it is our calling to raise, discipline, correct, encourage, and teach our children, right? We instruct them so that they might learn to know God's authority and respect it. That, that is the, the calling on our lives, and refusing to do so is sinful, right? And church, 
You don't have to be a parent to see parents who are abdicating their duty and to say something to them about it. One of, one of the primary things I see when I take the kids to the playground or whatever else, I can tell within two minutes who's running the house. And there are a lot of homes where the children run the house, not the parents. And I just got done telling you that I have pulled my children out of a dryer. Does that sound like the type of person that should be running a house? Right? But parents who want to be loved by their kids and are short-sighted, right, refuse to discipline, correct, and teach, and then they run into problems later in life. And so sometimes the most loving thing you can do to a child is to make them mad in the short term. I hated my dad when I was in uh, late elementary, early middle school. You want to know why? He didn't let me get away with being dumb all the time. I thought he was trying to rob me of joy, and I look back on it, and I'm like, my dad was protecting me. I couldn't see it then, but my dad was protecting me. Right? As parents, we are called to steward our children by doing these things. And children, you are called to honor your parents by obeying them. Now, many of us in, many of us in this room have moved out of the stage of being a child. Okay? But notice how God doesn't put a qualifier on how long to honor your parents. I don't see that anywhere, okay? And so adults, as we grow up, right, still are children to our parents. And verse two says to honor them, not always submit to them, right? And so what we, what we glean from this and what we take away from this is that it's key to understanding how we process, how we relate with our parents when we become adults, Right? We don't spend our entire lives being ordered around by our parents and being told what to do. Right, guys, I've seen some marriages where that is the case. It is a disaster. But a parent's job is to teach and instruct so that when we are older, we actually are ready to obey God, but we still honor our parents. And guys, there are practical ways to do this as adults. And college students, I love you, but some of you guys really suck at this. You do. And I understand you're, like, you're new out of the house and whatever else. So here are some practical ways that you can love your parents well once you're an adult. Okay? All right, number one, pursue excellence in your vocation. Right? Here's what that means. Get a job and go to class. I, I've said this before. I, I, I want to just make sure I get this. Um, I don't care if you're on a scholarship or if you're on Bright Futures scholarship here in, in Florida, because I know kind of the way that, that works here at UF, or your parents are paying for your college, or you're taking out student loans, or however it works, right? But even student loans are, paid, are subsidized by taxpayer money, just so you know that, okay? Like my, my tax money pays your interest while you're not in school. Just want you guys to know that. And so when I hear you guys aren't going to class and you see me frustrated, it's because you're wasting my money, okay? If your parents are paying for your school, you honor them by going to class, by, by pursuing excellence in your class. I'm not saying get all A's. Look, I'm dumb. I, I barely made it through. I get it. You know, you got, some of you guys are like in Calc 3. I couldn't get past Algebra 2. Like, I get it. Okay, it's, fi it's fine. I, I get that the university is difficult, right? But, we, but we, we can honor our parents by pursuing our vocation with excellence. If you are a student, that is your vocation right now, is to be a student to the glory of God and honor your parents by doing well there. Number two, right? This may seem like really difficult, but you can just pick up a phone and give them a phone call and talk to them or video chat with them. You know, if you haven't talked to your parents since you left in August, 
your job this afternoon is to call your parents. That, that's your job. Call them, call them, talk to them, ask them how they're doing. Number three, ask their opinion on things. So I, I said ask their opinion. I didn't say you had to listen to their opinion. Ask. Right? If mom or dad offers dumb advice up, you don't have to follow it. Right? But listen and hear them out. Guess what? They've been alive longer than you. They might know a thing or two. Right? There are some things that I, I've talked to my dad about, and I'm like, I don't really think that's very good advice. And then there are things that I've called my dad about, and he's saved me from making some really poor decisions because I asked him his opinion. Number four, you can thank them for what they've done, and they've done well. Guys, most of you guys in this room aren't parents. Let me just tell you something. Being a parent is really, really, really hard. Really hard. The the most difficult thing I think that you can do on earth. I'm I'm not joking. You know, like one minute, I mean, they're they're hormonal. They're, you know, they're one minute, they're, you know, they have an IQ of 200 and the next minute an IQ of two. It's it's, It's just part of parenting. Right? And, and to parent well, your job is while they're like this, is to try to be like this. Right? Most of you guys know me, I'm like this too, so our house is a little crazy. Right? But your job is to be like this, to guide and to shepherd and to lead. Right? You've made it. You've survived. Your parents were not perfect, but you can thank them for the good that they did in your life. Right? Number five. I would encourage you to start thinking through now how you can plan to be there for your parents in their old age. Guys, let me, let me just say this, right? Many of you guys are, need to think through this because you're in the medical field. You're, you're like, I don't want to take care of my parents. Well, stop studying medicine and, and making your parents live longer, right? Because that's what's happening, okay? But if you want to continue to like science and like be a good doctor or be a good nurse and whatever else, right? If we are going to be better as a society at medicine, guess what's going to happen? Yeah, they're going to live longer. Right? And I, I don't know about you guys. My grandfather used to have this. This is like the one thing I remember my grandfather always saying. Being old is not for the weak. Right? Like things just don't work as well in their 80s as they did in their 20s. Right? And sometimes, right, they need help. Right? You can think about honoring your parents about how you're going to be a part of that. Right, whether you're going to contribute financially to their care, whether you're going to invite them into your home, whether you're going to try to at least live near them so you can help them out. I don't know what that looks like. Right? Your, your season of life and how you've planned for that will dictate a lot of that. But, but guys, look, your parents wiped you, bathed you, stayed up with you. Look, this just a couple weeks ago, right? Jackie and I were cleaning up throw up in our kid's bed all night long. Right? Yeah, some of you guys are like, I don't want to be a parent now. But yep, there you go. Right? That's the reality of being a parent, right? My parents did the same thing for me. I remember many nights when I was sick, my mom just staying up all night and then going to work the next morning somehow or staying home from work and not getting paid that day so she could take care of me, right? Parents sacrifice a lot for you. You can honor them by being ready to sacrifice and take care of them later in life, right? And guys, that type of sacrifice, that type of planning, that type of honoring honors God, it does. It, ma- it makes much of him. And it makes much of the impact your parents had on your life. Now look, guys, I, I just need to pause here because I know some of you guys don't have great relationships with your parents. Some of you guys don't have parents. And so my advice, this, my, this list doesn't fit you. And I, I understand that. One, there might be someone in your life who you can do that with anyway who was important, key, a mentor, whatever else. 
Uh, but, if, but if you have a terrible relationship with your parents, just please see one of the pastors here and we will help you walk through that. We want to walk through that with you. Right? But for those of you guys that have pretty good parents who are helping you out here and there and kind of get on your nerves and you, know, you haven't been back to visit them because they drive you crazy and that's all good and fine. I mean, I, my parents come down here twice a year and I'm ready for them to get back on the plane every time they come and visit. And they're probably going to listen to this and I'm going to get yelled at now. But I still love them. I still talk to them weekly. Right? And I still want to honor them later in life because it's what God asks of me. Now, parents, verse 4. Notice how it's the fathers that are listed there. See how that fits directly in line with what we were talking about in Ephesians 5? Right? The, the role of the husband is to pastor and protect and provide. Right? He, says, he says this. Right? He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I'm not going to go into, into, into depth on this, but let me just say this. Right? Parents, we are in charge of making sure our sons and daughters are taught to develop godly character. And this means that we discipline them in a way that is gospel-centered, not behavior modification. I think, I think one of the primary mistakes um, my parents made, and I, I think that they had, it, they had it imaged for them or shown to them this way, is that they were so worried about my behavior that they weren't worried about my heart or my soul. Right, And so I got disciplined a lot Right, but I never got shepherded. I never got pastored. And let me just say this. Right, I got disciplined a lot too from a place of anger, and that is not wise. Okay, so, so if you're listening now and you're not going to be a parent for another five to ten years, just store that way away in the back of your mind. Guys, the, the, the goal of disciplining children is to correct them and get them walking and living out their lives to the glory of God not to get them to make your life easier and make you, your life less stressful. I think one of the things that I am even um, quick to want to do is to discipline my kids just because they're annoying me. Right, that's not parenting. Right? Parenting is shepherding them and leading them right, and teaching them to obey right, so that they might understand that authority is for their good and their protection. Right, so you must discipline, but you cannot do it from a place of anger. And he, guys, here's, here's why this matters. So if you're a man sitting here and you want to be a dad and a father one, one day and you're reading this, you're like, here's why this matters. Think about God. Your heavenly father is engaged in your life. He's so engaged that he sent his only son to die on the cross for your sins. Your heavenly father loves you. Your heavenly father disciplines you. Anybody in here ever been disciplined by God? Right, a few of you guys. The other ones you just don't know. Right, it happened, you just didn't, you just didn't recognize it. That's fine, you, you lack discernment. That's why you need the church. You need someone to tell you, you're just being disciplined right now, it's okay. Right, your heavenly father disciplines. Your heavenly father shows grace. Right, as parents, we get to image that to our children. Right, it's a reflection of the gospel, and we are called to display that in our parenting. All right, so we've looked at marriage, we've looked at family, right? The next relationship that he's going to deal with is, wor- uh, is the work dynamic, right? And look what he says, starting in verse 5. He says, bond servants. Some of you guys might have a translation there that says slaves. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart 
as you would Christ. Now let me start this. If you have one of the translations that says slaves, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty good translation for that word. Um, I understand why the ESV uses bond servants. Um, just something really quick to throw out just as a, as a grammatical note in Scripture. When you see that word slave in Scripture, it is not talking about uh, the West African slave trade that we would be familiar with here in the United States, which, which by the way, is, is a blight and a stain on our country's history. Okay, he's not talking about that type of slavery. Um, slavery uh, in this time period, specifically in uh, Jewish culture, but also even in the Roman world, often looked like this. Um, if you couldn't provide and take care for your family, you agreed to become someone's slave for seven years. If you've ever studied in American history the idea of indentured servanthood, it was actually taken from a biblical precedent, right? And so slavery in the scriptures was a seven-year service where you pledge yourself to that master and basically what he did is he took care of you and your family but you agreed to do whatever he asked you to do it was a slave master relationship but at a time period now let me also say this the old testament is riddled with instructions for the way that the slaves were supposed to interact with their master and the way the masters are supposed to treat their slaves and let me tell you something it does not look like what we knew african slave trade to be in the 17th 18th and even into the 19th century in the united states Okay, so, so throw that idea out of your mind. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about these relationships where people willingly right, bonded themselves to someone else to work for them for an extended period of time. And the reality is that sometimes if a master treated you well, you could just agree to work for them for life. And that happened. Right? There, were, there were certain people where they would agree to, to get into this relationship and the master treated them biblically and did what they were supposed to do. You, say, you know what, I'm just gonna pledge myself to you and your family for, for the rest of my life so you can help take care of my kids. Right? And so the, the Bible has tons of rules on this, but, but what we need to understand is when we read these verses, when we read verse five through nine here, right, the, the way we would view this now as an employee to boss relationship. Right? Unless someone in here is an indentured servant. Anybody in here an indentured servant? No, I didn't think so. Okay, so the proper way to then understand this type of relationship that Paul is talking about here is an employee-to-boss relationship. And, and Paul is basically giving us a thesis on, on a Christian work ethic. You know, what should it look like to honor God in the workplace? How are we supposed to act? What would be the good? What would be the bad? And there's, there's three things we see here uh, that, that are kind of wound up in a good Christian work ethic for us, at least relationally. Uh, number one is in verse five, right? Is that we are, are joyful in obedience, right? Look at verse five with me. He says this, bond servants, obey your earthly ma- master with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Now that word fear there can also be translated reverence, right? And so guys, if, if you have a job and you have a boss, right, God's calling on your life in the workplace is to joyfully listen to your boss. Notice how there's no qualifiers there. There's not like a qualifier that says, well, if your boss is incompetent, you don't have to do it joyfully. There's not a qualifier that says, if your boss is a jerk, you don't have to do it. There's not a qualifier there that says, if your boss is younger than you, you don't have to listen to him. There's not a a, a qualifier there that says if your boss is a dinosaur and doesn't know what he's talking about or what she's talking about, you don't have to listen to him, right? No, what is the qualifier there? Be joyful in obedience, right? Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart. What Paul's saying here is like, look, the, the way we honor God in the workplace 
is we submit to authority that is over us and we live, we live out our God-given roles in this relationship. It means if you're an engineer, you listen to the instructions of your boss. If you're a teacher, you listen to your principal. If you're a student, you listen to your professors and do what they ask you to do. Unless it directly violates scripture and your conscience to listen to God, you should be doing what they ask you to do. Okay? That, that there, there is a way in which we honor God by submitting to our bosses. And, and, and I, look, I know this, this spits in, in the face of like what we want. Right? Everyone wants to be an entrepreneur now. Everyone wants to do their own thing. No, everyone wants to be a boss. They don't want to be told what to do. Right? But God is saying that there is honor for the gospel and being a godly employee who is submits to their boss. Number two, right, is in verse six, but he's gonna tell us to pursue excellence in all that we do, right? Look at what he says. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. If I say the name John Wooden, does anybody know who I'm talking about? Yeah, like three people. Yeah, you guys are all too young now. All right, John Wooden was this famous basketball coach. He's, he's led more teams to the NCAA Final Four than any coach in uh, college basketball history. He was a coach at UCLA. Um, he would have never made it that far because he would have been fired in like the second season because his first couple years they were terrible. But um, that just goes to show how impatient we are as a society now. All right, I'm off my soapbox, sorry. But in, in all seriousness, uh, like he had a couple really bad years and then, then he just led UCLA to Final Fours like back to back to back to back to back. And he has this famous statement that you've probably seen at some point growing up, but he would say this. He said, be more concerned with your character than your reputation. Because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think of you. The true test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching. Right? I mean, we, in my high school gym um, weight room, that quote was on the wall. Right? And that was, it was our coach's way of making sure we did our weights and our sets without being watched. There was a lot of truth in that. Right? It's easy to be a good employee when your boss is looking at you. But what are you doing when your boss isn't looking over your shoulder or isn't in the room? Are you still honoring him? Are you still honoring her? Are you still honoring your employer by doing what you're asked to do? Right? If this is an issue right, where, where we struggle right, to exude the character of submission to authority, right, Paul's pretty clear here, right? He says that we do it from a heart for God, right? So the, the easy issue is we just start praying to God to change our hearts. God, change my heart so that I might honor you in the workplace. And guys, li listen. And some of you guys don't know what I'm talking yet, about yet, but I've had some pretty crappy jobs in my life. Like I worked fast food. N not, not the most fun job in the, in the universe, Okay. I, I've had some jobs that were good jobs and also had terrible bosses, okay? It's not, it's not always easy to do this. So here would be my encouragement to you, right? If you are working right now and you have a crappy boss, right, start praying right now that God would remove you from that situation and rescue you. They would also give you strength and wisdom to walk through it right now. And look, if you're having a bad day or your boss is having a bad day or it's hard, guess what? Fake it. Fake it. You can show honor, right? You can be respectful 
and still not think that that person's worthy of it. You can still do it. And it makes much of God. Let me tell you something. If you are in the workplace and you live differently like this, you will get opportunities to share the gospel with people. Right, I worked for a credit union in Virginia, and I had, I, had, I had this woman who was my boss, and we had just absolutely horrible hours at this place. I mean, you'd have to get there at 6 a.m., and sometimes you have to stay till 7 p.m., depending on what the, the, the schedule you were scheduled for. And she probably had like five or six employees underneath of her. And guess who never had the bad schedules? Her. Yeah, there you go, boss, right? Right, logic, right? Okay, so she, she wouldn't schedule herself for the crappy hours. Okay, so, so she stepped down, didn't want to take that role anymore, and guess what I did? I applied for that job and was given that job, and guess what I did? I placed myself on the rotation for those crappy hours. I didn't want to do them, but I knew how crappy they were, so I wanted to at, show my employees, hey, I, I'm in this with you, right? And one of the things I found out once I took that job over is, like, my boss was a real pain to deal with, right? I had a buffer between me and her when that other lady was my boss, right? And then I moved up in there. I'm like, oh, I see why she didn't really want to stay around. Right, this, is <laughs> this is not a lot of fun, right? But I worked with excellence. When I made mistakes and didn't do it, I owned up to it and apologized. I, I got opportunities to share the gospel with that woman on multiple, multiple occasions, because she would say, why, why, why are you doing this? Or why are you apologizing for this? I didn't even see that you had rolled your eyes when you turned your back on me. Or I didn't even see that you had told the other employees not to worry about this thing that I had asked you guys to do. And I said, you know, here's what God's done in my life. I feel like I've offended you and that I'm, I'm not honoring you and that you're my boss and I need to do that. And the gospel has changed my heart enough to do this. And, and I would get to share the gospel with her. To the point where like later on in our relationship, she'd be like, do you think all human beings are inherently good or evil? Well, here we go. <laughs> you asked. <laughs> right? She was one of these people, by the way, and if you're a cat person, I'm just going to make fun of you for a minute, so just, in, just enjoy. Um, she was one of these people that thought cats were better than humans. I'm like, well, actually, like, there's good animals like dogs, and then there's evil animals like cats, where Satan created them and bent their will. And that, uh, you hear the cat people? The dog people were laughing. The cat people were like, oh, you know. I'm joking, guys, cats can be okay too. They're like dogs, they're fine. But, right, here, here's, the, here's the bigger picture, right? God is giving us a picture of what work relationships, right, are to look like so that they can honor him and present people with opportunities to see the glory of Christ and what he's done for us. Right, that, that honoring and submission Right, that, that pursuing excellence and obedience makes much of God. And the last thing he says, he says in verse 7, that we are to serve like Christ. He says, render service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Right, when we serve others, we are actually mimicking God's character. Because Christ first served us by laying down his life for us. I heard a, I heard a quote, and I can't remember who uh, it was. But for some reason, the quote stuck with me, and so here it is, right? Work as a way of serving men, not just as a means of making money. Right? If your job is a means of serving others, by the way, all jobs are service in some way, shape, or form. Whether you're an IT technician, whether you install cable, whether you're a police officer, a nurse, or a doctor, you serve someone else in that job. 
Even if you're the CEO of a company, you serve your employees and your shareholders. Right? By definition, work is designed to serve others. Therefore, your vocation, no matter what it is, has value. Work benefits others. Teachers benefit the world around us by imparting education and knowledge to children. Right? Doctors right, benefit society by serving others and helping them to get well. Lawyers, believe it or not, serve a purpose to protect our, our rights and our liberties. I know some of you guys see these like ambulance chasers. You're like, well, all lawyers are terrible. Trust me, if you're ever in trouble, you're going to want a lawyer to protect you. And God says, we pursue excellence. We're joyful in submission, and we serve like Christ. And when we do that, we honor God. And I love if you look at the, the, the last two verses there, verse 8 and 9. I'm not going to read them, but this is basically just what he says. And guys, if you're a boss, work to do the same thing. And then he adds one other qualifier on there. Don't be a jerk. He says it differently, but that's basically what he says. He says, don't be a jerk. If you're a boss, be joyful in obedience, pursue excellence, serve like Christ, and don't be a jerk. Don't lord your power over someone else. So guys, here, here's what we see. Right, the, as, as we're being made more like Christ, as we're, as we're living up to that identity that God has called us to in Christ, loved, forgiven, adopted, notice how all those terms are relational. Right, to know God is to be in community relationally with him and to be invited in relationally into the church, the body of Christ. Right, that relationships matter to God. And this is why Paul mentions these three realms and calling us to live out of our identity. So here's, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna turn the lights down. I'm gonna invite Luke up here to pray and we're gonna have an opportunity to kind of spend some time in, in prayer and response to what God is calling us to. But here's what I want you guys to see. Because we need to have a vision, right, for what it looks like to live out these relationships to the glory of God. Because there are going to be days where marriage is difficult and you're not going to want to do this. And the motivating factor for that can't just be a healthy home or a happy wife or a happy husband. It needs to be the glory of God. There are going to be days when you're a parent or you're a child and you don't want to obey your mom or dad or you don't want to do the hard work of parenting and there needs to be something bigger driving you and it needs to be the glory of God. There are going to be a lot of days in the workplace where your boss is driving you crazy, where your fellow employees are hard to get along with, aren't doing their job, aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? And your vision, right, for that space needs to be the glory of God. And Paul has laid all of this out to us, right? He's saying, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are redeemed, you are chosen, live like it. Live in light of Christ's love for you. And make these relationships the way in which you are going to declare the glory of God to an unbelieving world. We're going to turn the lights down. 
Now, I'm just going to lead us in a time of prayer. Okay, so I'm going I'm to pray. I'm going to lead us in some prayer. And then I'm going to pause, and I'm going to give you some time to reflect and take to the Lord whatever you might want to take to Him. But we're going to pray that God might move in our hearts. That he might move us and sanctify us into obedience so that we might live this out to the glory of God. If you're here this morning and you're like, why would I want to live any of this out relationally? Because, because I, don't, I don't know the Lord. Here's just what I, here's just what I would say to you. Right? Life is chaotic. <laughs> By looking at even these three different areas and relationships that we walk through could see how chaotic they can be and the promise of scripture is that because of sin all those things are marred but because of Jesus all things are being reconciled to him and I would tell you that if you want if you want a joyful marriage if you want a joyful uh, life family life with kids right if you want a joyful work experience notice how I'm not saying happy there's a difference between those two things that the only way to experience true joy and meaning is by knowing what Christ did for you. And I would say that the starting place for you is just today is to recognize Jesus as God and Savior who laid down his life for your sins so that the Father might forgive you, that he died in your place on the cross. And that out of that, recognizing by repentance and faith what Christ has done, we can walk forward in these other relationships. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. your promises to us in Ephesians. Lord, I'd start by saying this, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who either doesn't know you as their God and their King or has unconfessed sin that they haven't laid at your feet asking for your forgiveness and asking to change, might we do that right now, Lord? Might we just lay down our sins before you and recognize you as our Savior and our King. who trust in Christ that they are forgiven. Lord, might we live out of that knowledge and that identity. And Lord, so I pray this morning as we move from cor correcting that vertical relationship with you, Lord, that you might move in our hearts to start correcting some of these, these horizontal relationships. 
more so if there's anyone here who is married or wants to be married or has been married. Might we pray in this time to have our hearts prepared or corrected to live out the truths of what we see at the end of Ephesians 5. families, that we might honor our parents, and that if we are parents, that, that we would parent well, Lord. Thank you that you care about our marriages, that you care about our families. And Lord, lastly, we, we lay before you our vocation, whether it's as a student, as an employee, or as a boss. Lord. Help us to lead with joy. Help us to be joyful in obedience, to pursue our vocation with excellence, and to serve like you served us, Jesus. Lord, and so this time we pray to you to give us a vision of what it means to honor you. Thank you that you care about not just restoring us vertically to you, but you seek to see restoration in every area of our lives. That the promise of your word is that you are reconciling all things to yourself. Heavenly Father, might we leave this place today 
believing that all of this is possible because of you and what you've done. As we continue to worship you this morning in communion, Lord, might we take that communion this morning, not uh, penitent or sorrowful, but joyfully taking the bread and taking the juice and rejoicing that Jesus' own flesh and blood was poured out for us because he chose us as his own. And as we sing these remaining songs, might we sing them as men and women who are adopted and redeemed sons and daughters of the Most High God. And might we leave here today, Lord, hopeful and expectant, trusting you the same way that Paul promises in Ephesians 3, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him, you, Lord, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever.